from worlds beyond to write at the gaming table. These are all my fantasy children. Hey, Jeff! Hey, Aaron. Welcome, everyone, to All My Fantasy Children. I am Jeff Stormer. And I am Aaron Nervous Katana. <laughs> so, normally, this is a podcast where we take your listener prompts and we turn them into wonderful, magical tabletop role-playing game characters. Emphasis on the word normally. Yeah. See, this week we're doing things a little bit differently. You know, see, lately you've probably, if you're if you're a faithful junior wizard, you've probably noticed a lot of crossovers, a lot of references, a lot of world references. We, we wanted to take an episode and push that as far as we could. We wanted to spin the full story of this world, give us a, a, a place of setting and time to really kind of explore characters in a different context. Yeah. So we've got a lot of, of world lore written. We've got some tables in front of us. Uh, we've got Kevin Crawford, Stars Without Number, which is normally like a sci-fi traveler type role-playing game, but it's got some really cool society building tables in it. And I'm excited to like see how the like roll those. They'll work really well in a fantasy format. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm not talking because I'm very nervous because I've wrote a bunch of crap and I'm worried that it sucks. I'm sure it's okay. I mean, I've read it and it's great. So I'm, I'm not worried. I'm normally like, hey, everybody, let's make jokes about farting into microphones. And now I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> but I'm still going to push through because um, as Wizard once said, you only live once. Did Wizard? YOLO. Did Wizard say that? He probably said that. He coined the YOLO. God, I hate Wizard. <laughs> YOLO, bruh. Few things, <laughs> few things remain as pure in this world as the hatred that I have for Craig Wizard Hasterberg. Oh, God. Yeah, I have consistent hatred in my heart, only because there was a time in my life that I was a little Craig Hasterberg, as we all have I think been. We all have been at one point. Also, I want to make sure to say that uh, farting into microphones is, is yet another installment of All My Fantasy Children Nights. After Dark, absolutely. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for All My Fantasy Children After Dark, where Aaron farts in a microphone for 50 minutes. Yeah, we know what you like. <laughs> okay. All right. So. So let's dive in. Okay. So I'd like to start at, uh, like, the world origin story. Yes. T- t- let's start at the creation of the universe, the beginning of all things. All right. All things have a beginning. And this one, uh, as we break into ages, this is what I'm referred to as the age of the ooh, I can see your little icon popping around on my phone huh. through the document. That's fancy. Yeah, we're hopping around. We're starting with a little, a little the dance. age. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could share this with you as party of one podcast <laughs> pops through this document. Um, so we're starting with the age of the five. The five are beings of light that traverse the cosmos and planes of existence, shaping worlds and the inhabitants within them. The five consist of the blue, the yellow, the red, the cyan, and the magenta. Which, if you don't know, those are colors, and two of them are primary printer inks. I was I was actually going to wonder where those came from. I think actually three of... No, three of them are. Yeah, there's three primary colors, and in printer ink world, cyan and magenta are primary colors as well. Yeah, but also yellow is. I, I, needed, I needed five real bad. <laughs> <laughs> I needed, needed five things like you wouldn't believe. So with each world that they make, they love them all equally, they tend to the wants and needs of the inhabitants, and they're they're like loving parents, but with an active hand. Okay. Like they appear and give them shit. 
So we're talking like an Old Testament style. Yes. Like shows up and is like, hey, by the way, here's the here's some bread. You want it? You got it. Got it. Okay. So after countless worlds are made, um, the red becomes bored with this little pattern. Which makes sense. That seems na- that seems like a natural reaction. Exactly. Uh, so he convinces the others to create a new kind of world that isn't as harmonious. This one will leave like it's a little experiment, like a little game. Sure. So. He has the idea to, what if they make a world with separate contributions instead of like a collaborative decision making like they had been? Sure. So they're each going to craft almost like a fantasy race for the world, drop them in, and kind of see what happens. They're going to gift them with magic in one way or another. Makes sense. And it's sort of like they're going to make a little treasure hunt. So they drop all of the races into a world. They're going to leave one relic for each of the races to find that will eventually make them as powerful as the five. Okay. I like that. That's cool. Now, yeah. uh, my question, I, I do have a question. No, totally. Uh, so the red prompts them to come up with this game, right? Yes. Is it is it a benevolent gesture or is it like, or is it a power grab? Is it, ju- is it honestly just, I'm bored and this will be fun? Like, what's the motive? I guess, what's the motivation there? Uh, deep down, it is a, uh, it is a mischievous okay. decision. Cool. I, I like that. It is to promote, like, uh, chaos. Right. Like, the boredom came from just all the worlds are pretty much the same of, like, everybody playing Kumbaya. And yeah. so he's like, what if we added a little chaos into this? Sure. So, like, there's only one race per world that they've made so far, and everybody just kind of hangs out and eats god bread. Sure. Okay. And so it's not necessarily doing this to, like, rule over them, but it's doing this because it wants to see how crazy it could get. Yes. Cool. I like that. Okay. Kind of trying to see that th- it will fall apart. Okay. So it's sort of an ex- it's sort of an experiment in, to put it another way, just... Uh, off the top of my head, is it's sort of an experiment in what happens when people or living beings stop being nice. Oh my god, and start being <laughs> real. <laughs> okay, <Yep>. continue. <laughs> it's the fantasy real world. <laughs> it right. really, But it really fucking is. <laughs> continue. So the deal is that they won't interfere this time. They won't be uh, active hands in this world. They'll sit back, they're gonna hang out, sure, and they're gonna watch the fun and it's sort of like, it's not competitive, but like everybody wants their race to like reach the finish line first. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, everybody wants to prove that they were quietly the be- the, the best of the five. Nobody wants to be the Ringo of this arrangement. Exactly. The pineapple hair backstreet boy of the arrangement. Hey man, Chris isn't in sync and You're- he is, and he is useless. He is in last place. You got me. You got, you, you, you got me. <laughs> You got me on one of them fake, one of them fake boy band boys. All right. Anywho. Continue. <laughs> so Blue, Blue decides that this game, uh, Blue does not feel comfortable with this game. He realizes that there has to be a control to the experiment or it will all go to shreds. So he gives up his token, like his entry into the contest. Right. He wants to make a race that'll guide the other ones. Because he feels like the cha- he's afraid of the chaos. Sure. So he trades his token in to say, I won't really participate in the race. I want my race to just watch over the other ones and guide them along to finding their relics and reaching uh, status of us. Okay. I like, you know, I like that because that makes red kind of the opposite of blue. Yes. And that's neat. I really, that's, I did that. 
So blue crafts the, the race that'll guide the other ones. Uh, their gift of magic, their innate magic ability would be the strongest. And they would come first before the other races on this planet. And they are the beast men. Okay. Um, so you have this planet. It's totally inhabited by beast men at the moment. Um, they're developing this culture, this, they're going fast. Now let's talk a little bit about Beastmen, because I, I want to sort of drill down what, like, I feel like it's a vague term and I want to drill it down a yes. little bit. Okay. What are you picturing when you picture Beastmen? Because I, I want to, I, I want to get an idea of what, like, the visual of it is. Are they all goat men? Or no. is it like, a, is it like vast and varied within that sort of umbrella? Yes, I'm thinking it's vast and varied. That's sort what of I was like, thinking as well. Yeah, like um like Thundercats, uh sure. the the villains and Thundercats, centaurs and minotaurs and there's street sharks. It's pretty much like any kind of demi-human. Okay. But then there'll be more of them. Like there's tons of goat men, there's tons of centaurs, right. there's lots of different kinds of demi-humans, and as they continue to reproduce, there's just multiples. Of okay, multiples. yeah, so they're sort of constantly changing and shift. Okay, that's cool. That's really neat. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so they get their society rocking. Because their gift of magic was so strong, I think that they build somewhat of a metropolis. Sure. Not like skyscrapers, but they're just crushing it in terms of technology and magic. Sure. And everybody is really happy with that. The five are like, all right, cool. So we have we have our initial starter pack. Right. And then, as that as the Beastmen are established at their home base of Iron Hill, the next races are born. So the rocks are quaked by yellow. And the dwarves themselves are carved from them. So out from the mountains, pretty much like out pop the dwarves. Right. The light of Cyan reflected off of the moon and down came the elves. So they're just kind of beamed down on moonlight cool. as elves are and just, you know, flutter to earth. Yeah, right. Very elvish. Magenta took the seeds of the plants blowing on the wind and made the little halflings what what I'm thinking of for halflings is like because of Chad Butternut, I'm thinking that they are the best at farming. I think that makes sense. They're plant. They're they're and they they live in the. I mean, they live in like the shallow ground. Yes, and like they're fat. Yeah, I think that makes sense. They have like an attunement with farming and earth magic and stuff like that. Totally. So finally, red swirled the lava beneath the earth and fired it from its pits in the ground, and with it came the roar of dragons. That's pretty dope. Yeah. So all of them have their little races now that are just kind of poking around, exploring, and they're watching them as happy parents do. Like, aw, they're enjoying, um, like, puppyhood right now. They're like, look at our little babies. They're so stupid. So they're developing slowly, all while in Iron Hill, King Arthur is there. Right. Arthur is watching over them. He is the all-powerful leader of the Beastmen because the Beastmen, um, they actually discovered their relic. I want to ask you. I know it's the it's Arthur's glasses. Clearly, right? We established sure. that. What are they called? Hmm. Something with like the Watcher or like the Overseer, because that's like his job is right. to guide the other ones and just like he can see all of their progress. He basically is omniscient. The Azure Eyes of the Overseer. Fuck yes, that is so good. That's real good. So the Beastmen find their relic. They're advanced. You know, they comb the earth. And they discover them, what Blue left for them. What that basically does is it makes Arthur as strong as one of the five. Like, the Beastmen have pretty much the equivalent to one of these beings of creation. But 
He does not know of their existence. He just knows that he's powerful as fuck. Sure. And he can watch these other races. And thankfully, Arthur is like a great motherfucker. He's a good dude. He just wants to, yeah, he just wants to tend to the other babies. He sees it as like his duty to just keep the earth safe. Yeah. Maybe they put that duty in him. Sure. Sort of a nature or nurture thing of like, was it his, is it his calling or was it given to him? I like that. Yes. There's a little mystery there. Okay. So the, I'm thinking the dwarves make their stone mining cities. Right. You know, but it's still crude at this moment in this age. Right. This is some, it's not caveman. It's sort of they're like building very simple societies. Right. The halflings, I just wrote that they developed agrarian paradises. That makes sense. Yeah. Like the yeah. Shire. Like, yes. With like the most incredible, you know, farms and yeah. you know, bountiful lands. Did you want to roll tables now or do you want to roll tables later? Whatever is best. I have no idea. Let's roll some tables now then, because I kind of want to dig yeah. into these societies a little bit. Yeah, 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 let's do it. All right, so the dwarves. Yeah. So let's find out. Let's let's roll some tables. Okay. Uh, first thing, let's find out what like their government looks like now that they've got these big cities. Eleven. Theocracy. Mm? Interesting. Can you elaborate on that? I can. The society bows to the word of God as interpreted by his clergy. The societies are not entirely composed of believers tend to establish distinct second-class citizenships for the faithless, assuming they are tolerated at all. That's interesting coming from dwarves. That's very interesting coming from dwarves. Because I I, I almost picture it like uh, Deus Ex Machina God in the Machine type thing. Okay. Where, like... They worship the god of industry. Ooh. And like that is they they they've maybe cooked up this this uh pantheon of like machine gods or like a machine god. That's awesome. But what is it? What is why? I think it's because okay, so maybe they have because they're so they have a natural gift given to them for like building machines and yeah. crafting industrial that they chalk that up to it was blessed to them from a machine. Yeah, right. They're like, well, obviously, obviously we were created by a machine that gave us the ability to create more machines. Obviously, our god is a machine. All hail the machine god. All hail the machine god. We make these offerings. We build these cities in your honor. Yeah. And so they start building things of steel, like underground steel cities and stuff. And they're making inventions almost as like sacrifices. Yes. All in the image of a machine god. I think that's pretty cool. That is fucking cool. Oh, wow. All right. Awesome. So the, meanwhile, the halflings have made like an agrarian paradise. Yes. They have, they, they have these wonderful crops and lands. Roll me another d12 to see like what their government takes the shape of and how they like... Six. Huh. Military dictatorship. Okay. I mean... I think I've got it. If you, I mean, wait, unless you've got something. I, I do have an idea. All right. Okay, so well, the other races don't know the other ones exist yet. Right. I think the halflings know that they have resources. Yeah. And I think that's what might make like a military... I don't know. This is hard. I think I've got it. Okay. I think along those lines, they are afraid of because halflings are not fighters. No. You know, you know, Bilbo Baggins is, is pretty t- a pretty typical halfling. Yes. So they have these resources. They have these amazing farms. They are terrified that something is going to come along and take them. Okay. So they have put up wall, like not literal walls, but they've got their like emotional and like armament walls up. 
I like that. Are they made of, do they have actual walls made of plants? Yes, I'll say yes. They've got like haunted forests and stuff. Leave them out. Yeah. But I like that idea that um, there's a fear in them just because they're terrified. Because they're, of... they're small, soft creatures. <laughs> and then, yeah, and they have this beautiful, beautiful place and they're just worried that something might come and take it. Oh, because obviously there are, I think, uh, also keep in mind, there are like animals and monsters that don't fall into these races yeah. in the world. There's like the in-betweens. Yeah. Like in, po- like in Pokemon, how there are Pokemon and there are animals. Because like the Beastmen are these constantly changing things, so some of them just turn into animals. <laughs> like some Beastmen bloodlines just become like deer, <laughs> and some become like T-Rexes. <laughs> and so there is a fear of, I mean, if you have a lot- you're afraid of losing it. Yeah, if you have a society of plenty, you're going to be afraid of losing it. And yeah. you know these good times won't last forever, even though they might with halflings. Yeah, who knows? So that's the halflings. I like that. They're sort of like walled off. Cause I'm, and I'm thinking with like the haunted forest type deal is if you remember Lord of the Rings, I don't think it comes up in the movie, but in the books, they're like surrounded by the old wood where the trees yes. come to life and grab people. Like something like that, where they're like walled off in that way. Where you can oh, get like that. through that. You can get there, but, like, there's a solid chance that a tree might eat you. Yes. The halfling, the halfling home city is pretty heavily fortified. Yeah, through, like, magic plants. That they're so delicate that they've made uh, a fearful, terrifying culture around keeping it safe. Yeah. Where it's like they use just sheer violence to keep it safe. That's kind of that's neat and kind of terrifying. I think that's cool. All right, so what's next? What's the next sort of culture? The elves uh, built cities by the sea because I wanted them to be connected with like the moon that makes and sense. the tide. That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Let's roll in their culture. Yeah, yeah, roll me that d12. Hmm? Eight. An oligarchy. Okay. Oligarchy monarchies have kings, autocracies have dictators, military dictatorships have generalissimos. Oligarchies have a less vis- less clearly visible apex. They have formal councils and merchant houses oh, and, like, so noble happy. classes. Oh, uh, thank God. I really wanted, like, the elves to be somewhat traditional in that way of, like, they're not, like, the brilliant immortal elves, but there is, like, a council of... Because tr- I, I think of them as, like, on, constantly on a quest for knowledge. Yeah. You know? They've got, like, a ruling council and, like, a noble class. Yes. Because there's, like, high elves and there's not high elves. Okay, I like that. I that and cool. I think, is high elf, uh, I think it's just a, a high birth type thing. Yeah, I think it's, I think there's no, like, there's no difference. They're all elves. No. But yes. some of them are like, no, we're high elves. Yeah. No, I'm a high elf. In the first generation of high elves, people were like, what the fuck does that mean? But eventually people were just like, yeah, fuck, he says he's a high elf. Yeah, I think it's the ones who have made the biggest contributions, like whoever made the oceans and seas into like formed a plumbing system through yeah. their city or like ca- created the aqueduct. Yeah. You get you get rewarded for what you contribute. That makes sense. Yeah. So there's way to where's ways to advance. Yeah, there are ways to climb. You just have to be you have to create. You have to contribute something to the culture and if you don't, you're just a worker bee. You're a right. drone. Okay. That's pretty cool. All right. And now finally I wrote a little something different for the for the dragons. Sure. So I wrote, the dragons were made by Red. Red, jealous of the guide made by the blue, the beast men, crafted dragons with a magical attunement 
to that of the Beastmen. So he secretly made them as powerful as the Beastmen. The fire that they were born with burned inside the dragons, making them fierce and passionate. The ferocity red instilled in them soon led to violence. Dragons are the only race to fight amongst themselves during this Age of Awakening. That makes sense. They're dragons. They're chaotic creatures. They are. They are creatures. But we also, we already have established lore for these guys. Yeah. In the Tiamat episode, it's we talk about how they have like a really cool futuristic metropolis. And I chalked that up to having them be as magically powerful as the Beastmen of Iron Hill. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But they're warlike, and we, we talked about how they fight amongst themselves, but they're, they have this fiery passion, and I think that's where, like, the Tiamats of the world come in, where there's the creatives, and then there's, like, the warlike, terrifying dragons. Sure. So, this is where uh, it becomes a little more story-ish. So, I wrote that the dragons fought in the region of Dragon. Yep. The battles that are waged there are catastrophic they they're heard around the world and while the others five honored to never interfere with their children's development i think red is breaking that breaking that little trust and he takes great joy in pushing dragon into more and more of like a warlike culture just to throw just to throw a wrench into the whole experiment and so far that i think he becomes the leader of dragon like he okay. enters the body of a dragon like a dragonkin, and he becomes, like, he's the reason they're pushing more and more into this future. Like, he's using their knowledge, the knowledge of the five, to push them to be the equal to the Beastmen. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. Okay. I'm into that. And I think he decides to lead an attack on Iron Hill. Sure, because he's, he's, he resents the, the Beastmen. Yeah, he wants his babies to be number one. It has become, like, a fucking space race. And there's one culture that's already a- ahead of the others because they they weren't part of the game. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, and that's they don't cool. they don't have to play it anymore, but he does. So my question to you would be: Does he find? Do, does Dragon find their relic? Does he just give it to them, and that's why they're so powerful? I like that. I like that a lot. I like that because he's already broken the rules. So I think that he's just breaking all of the rules because well, Blue has their relic, so why shouldn't we have our relic? Yes. So yeah. he gives them something to be determined. He sends his minions to Iron Hill. Right. And I wrote I wrote that Arthur and the Beastial Knights fucking smash them because it's just dragons. It's nothing special. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then I think actual Red in his like dragon avatar form shows up to Iron Hill with what I I mean, I mean I'm going out there. This is very nerve-wracking. <laughs> I I wrote that the remaining uh the remaining members of Prism right become his Prism knights. Okay, I like that. No, I like that because they were already like a gang. Yes, and without without Tiamat there to lead them, then there's no reason they wouldn't become like a, just a more dangerous gang. Yes, are they just twisted by him, or are what is this? I want to decide like kind of what the relic is. Is it a Prism? Is it like a big crystal that gives dragons fucking tons of power? Hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what they have that makes... Are they just powerful, the Prism Knights and the other dragons? Because something has to make... Like, I know they're as strong as the Beastmen, but, like, Arthur at this moment is as strong as one of the five. Hmm. Because I'm thinking there's a battle where Arthur shows up and he, he notices that the dragons are a big terrifying force coming from this region. 
And so he knows, like, he obviously sees them marching toward Iron Hill. Right. And the first attack, he just absolutely annihilates them. But then I think Red and the Prism Knights show up with an even stronger force. And that's when shit goes crazy. But I kind of just want to decide what they, what made them so powerful. Okay, I've got something because I think it's going to, I think it, it foreshadows the, a big thing to come. Okay. I think that they have, the reason that he, that Red chose them was the Prism Knights have access to a power. Like they found some sort of prismatic energy that is like cosmic in nature. Like they have a touch of that cosmic energy. They have the power cosmic. Basically. And it's like the power of creation that was used to found all these things that the five had. Yes. Like that it used to create all the different races. They have some access to that energy. He's just straight up gave it to them. Yeah. Like in a asshole Galactus move. He was like, here, did you want this? Damn, the Prism Knights are like a whole bunch of silver fucking surfers. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, I love that. And the one thing that I want to add to this, because I distinctly remember this from the Big Jeremy episode. Yes. And so I want to add a, add a note about this that'll come up again later. Did we say that it was dragons that, that, that fought the battle that killed Arthur? Cause I feel- We said it was, we said it was against man. That's what I wanted to get at was, I think that they should have the first humans. Yes. And they're just like, what the fuck are these things? This wasn't part of the plan. And they just overwhelm them because humans, because these humans don't have like souls. Cool. They are just okay. beings of violence. That, I think that's what allows Arthur to get killed because he doesn't, he sees all he didn't see this coming. Holy shit. Okay. So what I'm thinking is they took this new power, the power cosmic. You know what I mean? They yeah. took this, they took this power of creation, the prism knights and they took every bit of the fantasy races, like all their meat, right, and molded it into something called the human. Yeah. And it's just this empty vessel, this, like, Mass Effect husk. It is a piece of meat that they can give a directive, and it has the, it has the dragon primal fire in it of, like, you know, a ferocity. Yeah. And they kind of just send it. And I think J Jeremy is overwhelmed just by their numbers. Not not big Jeremy, I'm sorry. Arthur is Arthur's overwhelmed over, yeah. by their numbers. And I think like he it's a thing that he doesn't he doesn't know about because he's all knowing, but he doesn't like it's a thing that isn't within the world that he has seen. Yes. So they're able to like just overwhelm him that way because he does not know how to like counter that. So the Prism Knights roll up all of the girls from the from TM from Prism come with this power. Along with Red, I think, is in the back, like, you know, as evil villains do, yeah. like, in dragon form, sitting on some kind of throne or riding right. some kind of, like, nightmare horse. Um, or riding a dragon. No, that'd be weird. Um, <laughs> just riding his second-in-command. Um, they, they are engaging in sexual intercourse, like, over the course <laughs> of the battle. Fucking on the battlefield. He is so pleased. Just, yeah! <laughs> this is awesome! So, the, the, so Iron Hill... The city is not overwhelmed, but in the Battle of Iron Hill, which is hilarious because that is a thing that happened in American <laughs> history in our basically it hometown. Is. So in the Battle of Iron, the Battle for Iron Hill, Arthur is killed by an overwhelming number of humans uh, fueled by the dragon's energy. And Big Jeremy, the Ironmonger's son, when Arthur was slain, he was very upset. He was. I think I think I like to think that he's like the youngest of the of the knights i think so i think because he's like i don't think there are a lot of second generation i kind of feel like the knights were founded 
not a lot of people got let into the knights. So like he, I imagine he's almost like a squire because he was yes. somebody, somebody's friend's kid wants yes. to tag along. <laughs> Like his title is the uh, Big Jeremy, the Ironmonger's son. It's not like we said it was Sir Jeremy, but that's when after this all happens. I think at this point he's like a squire on the battlefield, or they they had to throw everything they had at this right. battle. And Big Jeremy was a uh, a bestial knight squire. Yeah, and I think he's let in because because he's not like he's not a knight's son. He's an Ironmonger's son. So I think yeah. he's I think he only gets to be a squire because like they gave somebody a favor. Yeah. They said, you know, hey, my kid wants to be a squire. Uh, well, you make good iron, so. And Arthur is like, nothing, it's it's okay. Like, we live in a peaceful world. It's totally fine. We'll train him in the ways of combat. Yeah, but, he's like, not going to You have nothing skills. to fear. He's never going to have to fight until this happens and they are completely overwhelmed. How old is Big Jeremy at this point? Uh, I think he's young as fuck. I think he's probably like 16, maybe. Or the equivalent of 16 in Beastman years. Yes, he's a, he's a teenage beast man. He's a beast boy. <laughs> and he has this idol, cause is he squiring for Arthur? Yeah, I, th- I like that because we said that Arthur was the one that was like, yeah, it's fine, we'll take him in. So Damn. Arthur was like, yeah, I'll take him in, I'll, I'll squire him myself. So he's been spending years under a god. Like he's been studying, uh, he's been basically looking up to this all-powerful leader for like we'll say de- a few decades he's right. been squiring under him because beastmen time is just different can i add a small detail hit me uh while they are squiring together arthur is like he's very he's very comely goat man okay and he puts a lot of pride in his hair and he tells jeremy like you know there's no shame in being pride and being like proud of your hair like <gasps> you, you should look good oh you my. should look good God, no, this is heartbreaking. It's like, it's important to take care of yourself. Yeah, he's like... If you look good, you feel good, Jeremy. Yeah, so he just... And he, like, real offhandedly says that. It's not really core to his his, his ideology. Yeah. But he's like, it's it's good. You know, if you look good, you feel good. It's important to look good. It's important to feel good. And it's important to do what you love, Jeremy. Yeah. It's important to have hobbies. And Big Jeremy is, like, hanging on this every word of his senpai. Yep. It's <laughs> okay. So the battle is raging. The threat of dragon has been pushed back. I, I think they're kind of caught off guard by it. The first wave, they're like, whoa, what is happening? Clearly something is wrong. The, I didn't sense their power. Like, I don't think Arthur could tell how powerful the dragons had become. No, I don't think he, as I don't think he planned on a god showing up. Yes, but he doesn't know it's a god. Right. They're just yes, suddenly but- way bigger. <laughs> way more as powerful as they are and it's out of fucking nowhere i think when he was looking at dragon it was kind of like in speed when keanu reeves rigs the camera system to be like showing them on loop yeah i think red rigged the game so every time that arthur looked at the dragons they were just like playing pickup sticks and like shooting marbles yeah when in re- to hide their sweet pop edm concerts and like military like operations yep that makes cool. sense i like that that's real cool so Red and the Prism Knights roll up with humans, uh, murder the Beast Men. Arthur is slain. And we all know the tale of Big Jeremy yep. taking up his master's uh, glasses and absolutely annihilating the dragons. He kills all the humans. They're all dead. They are all fucking dead. And he, I think when he defeats uh red in his like dragon form when he blasts him with energy from his mace or whatever 
I think it kind of casts him out. Like it's he's banished from the body. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost as if like the possession has ended and he's forced into the cosmos, like into hiding. That makes sense. I like. Yeah, right. My question to you is, does Big Jeremy now fueled with the power of a god go and destroy dragon? Hmm. Yes, but not all the dragons like are destroyed. Okay, good. Because I think he notices that some are peaceful. Like, there are some Tias out there. Well, I think it's that he, in his rage, like, destroys dragon, but some of the dragons just happen to go into hiding, which is why you have, like, dragons hiding in mountains. I love that so fucking much. And it also explains why, like, the dragons in mountains are these giant, humongous creatures, because when the dragons that we had been describing were, like, Tia- where they're like people sized. They're like humanoid. Okay. They just keep, that's... they keep growing and keep getting more powerful so that the ones in hiding become like dragons. Yes. Like fearful, fearful creatures of immense power. Yeah. Cause they're, and there's only a few of them cause they're like, they're almost, were almost made extinct. And I think Jeremy feels real bad about it. <laughs> I think he does feel terrible about it, but also I think that the <gasps> dragons, what? I, I got, I got something. I got something. Say it, say it. He feels me. terrible about it. And because of that, Jeremy makes a vow that, like, he will ensure that all, that all creatures that, like, come to the gates of Iron Hill with good intent are welcome. Because that was his thing, like, that was his thing was, like, if a beast man were to come, if a thing were to come, if a pumpkin with tentacles were to come, yeah, like, they are welcome. If they have good intent, and I know if they have good intent because I have the Azure Eyes of the Overseer. Yes. So he's like, it. he feels bad, so he's like, if a dragon were to ever come, I would let them in and, and treat them as a beast man. If a thing, if a, if a creature were to ever come, and I could, and I knew that they had good intent, they did not come to destroy, then I would make it my mission to make them welcome. Okay, they can enter, it's I, the utopia of Iron Hill. Yeah. Going in back to all the, the things we had said about Iron Hill before, about how, like, people were coming from outside. Yes. And that ties into our, to Pumpkin Jay being like, I'm going to find Iron Hill when he finally gets there. Yeah. They say like, okay, you're welcome because Jeremy understands that he took something from the world and he has to give them a safe, safe space in return. I love that. It's real cool. That is real cool. Shall we continue on? Yeah. I have a little bit more. I have a bit more. Yeah. Okay. So Red is defeated. He is retreated to the cosmos. He's licking them wounds. Uh, Big Jeremy is now uh, the leader of the Beastmen and the overseer of all these other races. So I wrote that the remaining four of the five, they are they feel terrible. You know what I mean? That, yeah. Because the, they've been causing a lot of pain in the world. So I think that they decide that should Red ever come back, they to destroy once again cause fucking havoc. They have to be there to protect their kids, but also keep the rules intact and be an unseen force. So I think they sacrifice their forms for their children to become the magical ley lines under the earth. And so they're going to fuel the earth with magic and all their creatures indirectly. Okay. So they're going to become basically the magical engines underneath the earth so that they'll develop their race. They'll develop uh, all the people and eventually get them to where they need to be. Right. Big Jeremy, of course, seals away Iron Hill. Because these people ain't ready yet. Right. Because we they're still at rudimentary culture level. This is still, this is like what we call the Dark Ages. Yeah. This is like where Tiamat comes, uh, thaws from ice. Where there's like no magic. Because I think Jeremy, seal, like while the four are like, all right, let's start fueling these magic. You know what I mean? Let's start yeah. fueling them with magic. 
I think Big Jeremy is so afraid that he like turns off all the other races' magic power. I think that makes sense. Yeah. So like the ley lines are pumping away juice, but Jeremy is like, nope, no magic for any of them until I can prove that they all have good intentions. Because I'm afraid that dragons, I'm after what the dragons did. Yeah. I'm afraid that it'll happen again with the other races. Yeah. Does he make? I wrote that he makes an island for the dragons, like the dragon kin. Does he kill them all? I don't think so. I think that it's. I think. I think that he. He aims to make Iron Hill that that island that that he can be secluded from. That kind of ties into what I was saying about like he's like he says to himself, if a dragonkin were to come, like I would welcome them. In. Like Iron Hill would be their safe place because he took dragon from them. Yeah, he demolished. And yeah. so like he has this place that's secluded from the world. It's just Iron Hill. Okay, I love that. So we went through the age of the five. The Age of the Awakening is where all the races come to life and are just poking around. The Age of Dragons is where all this shit just went down. And this is the Age of Testing, where Jeremy is kind of just sitting, watching, waiting for them to prove their worth so that he can turn their magic back on. So the races are doing really well, um, but they have a cap. They, there's a level cap on this one, and it's the Dark Ages. Sure. Um, we talked about it in Tiamat's episode, where it's just like, it's okay. It's pretty shitty. They don't have anything special, but yeah. it's what we would think of like the Middle Ages. So this is the era where Tiamat thaws from the ice. And uh, I think at this point, all the races have a home city, and they are positioned over the magic ley lines. You're right. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, like Moon Prism is by the sea. It's uh, over the Cyan ley line. Uh, Purethra Guild is over the Magenta Ley Line for the Halflings. Uh, we haven't, we don't have a Dwarf City yet, but we'll get there. But anyway, you get the idea. So, Shock, you know, as we know, comes out of the ice, brings the races together. Uh, well, she first, I think, so I wanna, I wanna go a little tiny bit deeper into what Shock gives to people with this. We talked a lot about like, oh, creative energy is magic. I think that's, uh, Shock shows them that like, magic can come from inside you like she kind of because she's a dragon she has some strong magic ability she basically gives them training wheels of how to bring magical energy out of themselves using the fire of like passion that red gave her yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah so everybody has like really basic magic um like this is some you know they can make a few sparks dance in right. front of their hands this is it's never it's not spells but by this age of creation that tia comes in they now have a taste of what magic is, and they're very confused by it. Right. Where Tia is like, it's magic. Tia has an understanding where it's pulled from yourself, it's fueled by your creativity and your fire of passion, and you bring it out into the world and it manifests. For them, it's not so strong because of the level cap. So it's just like, oh, yeah, I get it. A light came out of my guitar when I played it. Right. Okay, so she goes on her quest, as we all know. She brings wants to bring the races together. So she has this concert. Yep. And all the races show up and Amy comes out of the portal. Yes. You know, they fall in love. They usher in this renaissance of knowledge and creativity. And then we decided that Shock wants to create more Amys. Right. She wants to create these beings of magic. And this is where I wanted your input. Does she go to Dragon and find the relic? I like that. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. Okay. Because I think of it as like this crystal 
this prism thing. Yeah, it's a pri- it's a prism, and that's kind of why the prism knights are so important, and that's where the, yes, that's where they drew that energy from. It's definitely like a prism. Yeah. Okay, so I think that Amy, I mean, uh, Shock and Amy go to Dragon. They find the prism, and instead of using it in the way that uh, Red did to make the the first humans, I think that because she has her gathering of the races, they all channel a little bit of their magic into the prism, and the light that comes out is a new kind of human. That's pretty cool. And uh, they are called humans, H-U-E, like the light from a prism, the episode title. <laughs> so yeah, so they have a new, there's a new human in town. My question to you is, are some of the old humans still in Dragon? Well, the ruins of what once was Dragon. I, I think, I, I think, I don't see why not. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and Amy finds them and like welcomes them into society because she has no idea what the fuck happened. Right. That's also a thing I'd like to, no one knows what, the other races do not know what happened during the Age of Dragons. Like, Tiamat was frozen in ice. She's the last fucking one, besides the ones that, like, dwell in, tra- like, mountains and caves. They're the old dragons. They would definitely know what the fuck was going on. But Tia has no clue. So she finds these dragon-made humans. They need a name. Because there's humans, and then there's, what, humans? Hmm. Draco humans? No, that's bad. Uh... Maybe they're called men. Like maybe they're they're sort of like a bastardization of the ter- of the phrase human, which is like okay. a full fledged term of them. The men were the monsters created by dragons. So like in the Middle Earth sense, how they were like the culture of men, and also because men are the problem. <laughs> so she, so Tia, Tia, Matt, and Amy discover man. Uh, first, not first man. That's Game of Thrones. So they discover men. And uh, they discover the dragon people. Damn it, this is hard. Because calling them men is going to get... dragon men? I think dragon men is cool. So they find the dragon men, and they invite them into the club yeah. of races. The differences would be dragon men. They have the ferocity of a dragon, that passion. You know that fire that we talked about, like that red is put in the dragons to make them so passionate and fiery? Yeah. Those are the adventurers. Those are the fierce, the people who want glory and want action. And want a quest. I think those are dragon men. Okay. And I and I think humans are those who have a search for knowledge and developing sure. magic. Like all of them have a capacity for good. It's not like good and evil. There's a in it, there's a calling in them. Yeah. Because they're created in Amy's image, and so I think that they have a search for knowledge and a deep magical understanding. Sure, that makes sense. Well, so like if this was a cliche RPG, like they would be good at uh, dragon men would be. Better fighters, better rogues. I, I have a way to describe it. Okay. Dragon men are Bamferinos. Yes. Humans are Avery Grace. That is perfect. Listen to Party of One, everyone. Plug. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Get my plugs in. All right, I love that. To close this off, so there's this new renaissance. There's a joining of the races, and they're all testing out this new magic that Tiamat and Amy have kind of showed them, like, I don't think Amy has any magical power, but they interpret her wisdom as magic. Sure. Because we did, we said they're not queens, you know, they're not gods, but I think they are the leaders right now of yeah. all the races. Like, they are looked to for, like, guidance. That makes so sense. So I think all of them are testing this innate magic power. They're all coming together. Elves move into Purithra Guild. 
I think it started as an agrarian culture. And I think, uh, because of the collaboration between all the races, like the dwarves helped make it more mechanical. That makes sense. Yeah. The elves helped make it more magical. Yep. 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 Pyrethra Guild is all of them are slowly becoming mixtures of the others. Sure. Like, uh, Moon Prism is slowly becoming slightly more mechanical, more agrarian. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of like a fishing and aqua, like water based culture. That makes sense. So yeah. they're all starting to mix. And Big Jeremy is noticing this, and he deems them worthy of magic. And so he releases the restrictions, the ley lines that dwell under each city begin to hum, and it fuels the races with a tremendous amount of magical ability, ushering in the Age of Magic. And we'll, I think we'll dig in more into that next time. Yeah, and that's where, like, Samuel Gord, Crosley Digwell, you know, all the fun, all the fun episodes, pretty much, have been in this, like, Age of Awesome. Like, the yeah. Age of Magic is where, like, goofy shit can start, like politics about pumpkins and sea travel yeah yeah how'd that go i think that was pretty great i hope so i hope people I think it was like a lot of it fun. i think people are really gonna dig it i think so too fuck yeah i hope you like it if you have any questions uh tweet at us yeah you, you can find me to tweet questions at me any fucking time at aaron underscore katano and jeff you can tweet me at dex dynamo on twitter yeah, or just tweet at us, uh, at through AMFC. Yeah, we'll both see it. <laughs> yeah, we'll both see it at, uh, AMFC underscore podcast. And you can also, don't forget, tweet us prompts for yes, characters. Yes, character prompts. We need them, we want them. You can also email us at allmyfantasychildren at gmail.com. You can use the hashtag fantasychildren. And like us on the Facebook. Cause yes. we're there. And you can comment there. It's, it's a barren wasteland, that Facebook. So we need it populated by fantasy children, meaning you. Jeff has another podcast, which we already mentioned. I do. Yeah, so Party of One, uh, this week we played for Halloween, and there was 10 candles. This weekend, November 3rd to the 6th, I'm going to be at Metatopia. If you want to come talk to me about the podcast, either, either podcast there. Oh, snap. You know, I'll be I'll be there playing, doing play tests. I've got some panels. I've got a panel Friday and a panel Saturday. Yeah, I've got a panel on two-player RPGs on Saturday that I'm really excited about. With that. Until next time. Good, good night. night. And, and good, good game. game. Hooray for lore!